Welcome to the Well-Balanced 360 Podcast, where we dive into the latest and best tips on medicine and spirituality to help you master your health and overcome your fears so that you can feel your absolute best. I'm your host, Dr. Shivani, a licensed medical doctor, a yoga nerd, and a wellness enthusiast. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to be here. Now let's dive in. On this episode, I'm joined by my good friend, Rebecca Stahl, who's a lawyer with a focus on trauma-informed practices. Rebecca is currently the chair of the Board of Somatic Experiencing International. We sit down and discuss how somatic experiencing can help you regulate your autonomic nervous system. Thank you for joining me today, Rebecca. I'm so excited to have a good friend of mine on the podcast. So I'm going to get right into it. I'm going to have you introduce yourself. Take it away. Thanks, Giovanni. So my name is Rebecca, and I am a lawyer. For many, many years, I represented children, mostly in foster care, but a little bit in private family law cases as well. So in custody cases and paternity cases and things like that. As a lawyer, I saw a lot of traumatic situations with my clients. And I also had a background as a yoga teacher. And so I decided that I wanted a little bit more training in how to deal with trauma and issues that came up for my clients. And so back in 2017, I started a training program in somatic experiencing. And over the course of the next couple of years, I became a somatic experiencing practitioner. And I am currently the chair of the board of Somatic Experiencing International, which is the organization that provides the three-year somatic experiencing training. That's incredible. I don't think I ever knew you were a yoga teacher. Yeah, I got my yoga teacher certification back in 2010. Look at you, Rebecca. Go, Rebecca. And so you did say you experienced a lot of kids with trauma. In our culture and in our society, when we think of trauma, immediately our minds go to like something extremely traumatic, such as a car accident or veterans experiencing trauma from being overseas. But trauma can be anything from like a heartbreak 15 years ago, how would you define trauma? I feel like there's a lot of ways to define trauma. Well, Peter Levine, the person who started somatic experiencing defines trauma as it's not in the event, but in the nervous system. So it's how our bodies and our nervous systems respond to life as a result from previous experiences. So absolutely a car accident, actually that's in some ways, somatic experiencing works really well for those sort of acute, what are called shock traumas. So a fall, a car accident, something like that, those daily things that happen to us. But we can also have, like you said, a heartbreak 15 years ago or complex trauma. So childhood development trauma, whatever it is that's currently affecting how we live in the world, whether we go into fight, flight, freeze, some people would say a fawning response and how our nervous systems then can regulate or dysregulate it in response to events today impacted by our lifetime up until then. And so the trauma is how it shows up in our nervous system today. Actually, that's why it's called somatic experiencing. That's why there's an ING there at the end, because it's how we're feeling right now in this moment, as opposed to how we felt even five minutes ago versus even 30 years ago. So it's how we're feeling now and how it's showing up today. And so I would say that trauma can be defined as too much, too fast, too soon, because our nervous systems are designed to regulate through trauma right? Or to regulate through events and difficult events. Our nervous systems are able to regulate through those experiences. And when they can't regulate through those experiences, we experience trauma. That makes sense. And so is that how you would define somatic experiencing? 
Well, somatic experiencing is the modality that we use to respond to the trauma in our lives. And so if we find that we tend to go into a fight response, are there ways that we can learn to notice that fight response as it's coming on and find different tools and skills to downregulate that fight response? Or if we notice that boundaries are really difficult for us, can we practice boundaries and notice how they feel in our nervous systems, in our bodies, and start to come up with new ways of creating stronger boundaries? If we have trauma left over from a car accident, are there ways of actually solving or resolving the impact of that car accident? So in a sense, often our bodies get stuck in a defensive response in events like a car accident. So if we can actually follow through in that defensive response, our nervous system can recognize that the event is over, right? Because we get stuck in that event like it's still ongoing. That's why people have flashbacks, particularly war PTSD or childhood domestic violence PTSD or rape, right? post these major events, people will continue to have flashbacks because the nervous system gets stuck. And so one of the ways that somatic experiencing works is to bring us out of that stuck experience, resolve the defensive orienting responses and help our nervous system recognize that we're in today's world and we are hopefully safe in today's world. And how do you do that? Is that through touch? Is that through talk? Is it a combination of both? There are so many different ways to do it. So in order to be what we call an SCP, a somatic experiencing practitioner, you have to have a background generally either in bodywork of some variety, yoga counts, which is how I got into the training, or in psychotherapy. So somatic experiencing practitioners come from a variety of fields. And so everybody who is an SCP should be working within their scope of practice, right? So you as a medical doctor could absolutely go through the SE training and then use the SE tools within your medical practice. Me as a lawyer, use the SE tools right through conversations with my clients and learning better ways of, frankly, interviewing children about very traumatic experiences in a way that wasn't traumatic for them, or it was less traumatic for them, I should say, right? And so I'll give you the actual lawyer answer here, which is it depends. An SE session can look like so many different things, which is yes, There absolutely can be some touch work, particularly with body workers, but plenty of psychotherapists when it is allowed within their license, again, will use touch work like a hand on a shoulder or what we call containing touch to help the nervous system feel like it's being contained and held, right? Always consensual, of course, usually on a shoulder or often on like feet touching would be another one to a sense of groundedness or a sense of connection. So there's lots of ways that, that touch can be incorporated. But one of the big ones, it comes up a lot, particularly in these past few years, but interrupting stories, actually. We get so caught up in telling a story sometimes. I had this happen with a client once. She was telling me the story of a, a pretty significant domestic violence incident. And as she was talking, her shoulders came up to her ears. She leaned forward. Her eyes got really big and like very focused. And her voice started speaking faster and faster. And her heart rate sped up. And you could see that her breathing was up high in her chest. And I knew this child pretty well at this point, about 15. I said, hey, it looks like this is getting really difficult to talk about. I really want to hear it right now, but do you mind if we slow down for a moment and just stop and we'll talk about something else. I'll remember exactly where we were. We'll talk about something totally different and then come back to it. Like, okay. So we did. We talked about something else. Usually my go-to there is movies. So we probably talked about our favorite movies. It doesn't matter, right? We're getting away from the overwhelm of the nervous system and giving it a little bit of space. And as we talked about probably movies, you know, her shoulders softened, her voice slowed down. She sat back in her chair, her eyes softened. 
and I looked at her and I said, hey, it looks like you're feeling a little better now. Is that true? Yes. Okay, do you want to keep talking about the story you were telling me? Sure. And she did. And as she told the story, what was surprising to me is that she was able to keep telling the story without getting overwhelmed again, right? Her nervous system had found that regulation and she could move through that story and keep telling it without being overwhelmed by it this time. And so is that an SE session? No, it was a lawyer interviewing session, <laughs> but using SE tools in that moment, right? And so those are the two big ones that are simplest to describe are titration. So doing things in smaller quantities at a time, right? Slowing down the story so that it gives the nervous system a little bit of space to recognize, oh, I don't have to get overwhelmed here. There's space here, right? And having a practitioner who can help hold that can be really helpful. The other one is pendulation, which is exactly what I did with that client, which is move to something totally separate. A lot of people think that if you don't dive into the deepness of the therapeutic process and you don't go incredibly deep into there and deal with everything all at once, you're not really dealing with it and you're just deflecting it. Truth is, it overwhelms our nervous system if we try to do all of it at once. For some of us, some people can do that, right? And so finding those spaces where pendulation is helpful and talk about literally anything else. My old SEP and I used to talk about Star Trek. It was great, but it was just a way to do something different for the nervous system and then to bring it back, to let the nervous system know that it can do what it's supposed to do, which is go up into activation and come down into less activation, more activation and less activation, which is all the nervous system is designed to do in those moments. And so an SE session can look like that. You can do boundary work by literally creating a circle on the floor and having somebody walk towards you and feel what it feels like and to say, stop. What does it feel like to say, stop? Pushing on different things. I like to do push-ups as an SE practice too. When I'm feeling really angry, I'll do push-ups, right? Because I know that that moves energy and it also moves back and forth with the arms, like this pushing motion that we like to do when we're upset. That for me works. It doesn't work for everybody. There's lots of toys to play, like a slinky. I'm actually playing with a slinky right now as we're talking, right? And just noticing how it feels to move the slinky out and back. Like even you right now just took a big deep breath as I'm playing with the slinky. Mm -hmm. because our nervous systems are connected right now, right? And you can feel what it feels like to have this. So just noticing that there's ways that our nervous systems can regulate is a really good way to do a session and they can look like anything. That's incredible. It sounds like there's many different tools that people can use in somatic experiencing. And there are many modalities and techniques out there in therapy. So what resonated the most with you with somatic experiencing? Why did you choose this approach? There were several reasons for me. First, I tend to be very kinesthetic in my learning, but also in my feeling states. So I like to use this as an example. How often can you tell with your back to the door when an angry person walks in the room? Almost everybody can tell, right? And so for me, I can feel that pretty strongly. And so I knew that for me, I wanted something that was going to help with my felt sense. Somatic experiencing starts often with sensations in the body. And I'm somebody who, since I was a child, would end up in physical pain when there were more emotional things happening. So we somaticize emotions. Some people say, oh, it's all in your head. And they say that as though it's in a derogatory way. The truth is that makes it actually way more difficult. Cut on your arm is going to heal pretty easily, assuming that you have appropriate nerve receptors. And you're the doctor, you can answer this question better than I. But when the pain is chronic and it's coming from a 
the misfiring in the nervous system, that actually takes a lot of work to remedy. And so for me, somatic experiencing was the first thing that brought some semblance of relief to chronic pain. So I actually found SE after about a year of working in the child welfare system as a lawyer, I ended up having back surgery. Of course, I had a herniated disc and there was a physical manifestation, but even after the surgery, I hadn't gotten much better. And so I decided that I needed to find something else to do. And what I was able to find was somatic experiencing. And it was the first time in my life. And I had tried every other healing modality you can imagine for my back. And SE, because of its slowing down, because of its focus on the nervous system, because of its titration, it was not a quick process of feeling better. But over time, it was the only thing that made a difference. I'm glad you found some relief. Yeah, me too. (laughs) And then compared to talk therapies, so much of our culture is based on cognition. And if I've learned anything from SE, I've learned a few really, really, really big lessons. But one of them is that so many people are like, just calm down in a really overwhelming situation. Or we talk about mental illness, all of these things. And the truth is, most of our responses and our behaviors are totally normal responses to really abnormal situations. So we look at the world around us right now, and everybody is overwhelmed. Everybody in the world right now is traumatized by COVID to some extent, some more than others, of course, but it's certainly affecting all of us. And you know, there's shortly after mass mandates began to be lifted, there were more mass shootings. Like this could have been predicted from an SE model, or at least I think it could have been. And so what we're realizing, I hope as a country and as a world is that you can't talk your way out of our nervous system responses. We have to find it inside. We have to learn to regulate our nervous system. And for me, SE has been the tool that's allowed me to learn to do that. I don't do it perfectly by any means, but it has certainly given me the tools to do it better. And you touched on this a little bit earlier, but how does somatic experiencing compare to some of the other modalities out there, such as cognitive behavioral therapy and some of the other therapies out there? I'm not a mental health practitioner. And so I know a little bit about cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT because I've worked a lot in the mental health world tangentially as a lawyer. So I certainly can't speak to it as a provider or anything of the sort. But my understanding is with CBT, the hope is that we have these thoughts and thoughts that tend to cause us harm. Often it will be through depression or anxiety or things like that. And so the goal with CBT is to change how we think. But it's all up here in our head. And what I find is that particularly with children, right? I work the most with children, but this works with adults as well. It's our nervous systems that respond first. And they tell us about the world before our brains do, before our cognition does. And so bias is a really good way of talking about this, right? We all have biases. We all know about them, or we may not know about them, but we all have them. And that's actually the point, right? We have them because they're internal and we don't even realize them. And it's our cognition that can come online and shift that, but we have to be cognizant of it before we can shift it. But we have to then check in with the bias first, right? We have to know that we feel it that it shows up. And this could be about anything, frankly. And SE is a way of actually recognizing it in the nervous system that we can then work with it. And we can work with it at a different level. And so it wasn't until I was able to feel into how I responded to the world around me that I was able to really respond differently because we can't get our brains to shift until we can get our nervous systems to shift. And so cognitive behavioral therapy, as far as I can tell, doesn't do that. 
it doesn't help us tune into our bodies and understand what we're feeling and then shift that feeling with tools that shift it. It just sticks up here with the brain as though our brains are disconnected from our bodies. We live in a world now where people talk about the brain-body connection, right, or the mind-body connection, which I believe, but actually I don't because that assumes that they're separate in the first place, right? In order for them to be connected, there has to be a separation first. And as far as I'm concerned, and as far as I've noticed from everything that I've learned in SE, they're not. They are one and the same. And so until we can recognize that our bodies actually exist, that our nervous systems are there, and that they are frankly defining our lives, our emotions run what we do in the world. And until we can recognize that, we're not going to be able to shift anything. And so our brains are just one piece of that puzzle. They're an important piece, but they're not the only piece. And so I think CBT gets lost in them being the only piece. And SE brings it all together, right? SE talks about this, or Peter in particular, in his books, he has a couple. The most recent one is, it's called In an Unspoken Voice. And he describes this acronym and it's CYBAM, which is sensations, which is how we feel in our body, right? What are you feeling? What are you noticing? Hot, cold sensations, tension, not tension, prickly, tense, loose, whatever. Whatever sensation is in the body. So that includes actually all sound and visual images and even smells to some extent, behaviors. So as I'm waving my hands around here, that's a behavior, right? Rocking back and forth is a behavior. How the body is moving, how people are moving in space is a behavior. Affect, so emotions that come up and then meaning. And so meaning is the cognition piece of that, right? So it, it's all combined and every aspect of our nervous systems and our brains are in this package. And SE looks at all of them and many other modalities look at pieces of those, but not all of them in one place. Seems like there's so much to learn with somatic experiencing. I believe we talked a little bit before you got on the podcast, and I actually didn't even know that there's different forms of somatic experiencing. I called it somatic healing, and you said that's not the correct term because there's different modalities to it. Can you expand on that a little bit? Sure. So there are plenty of things out there that are based in somatics in general, right? Somatic just means body or soma means body. And so anything that's body-based is going to have the term somatic as a part of it, or may have the term somatic as a part of it. So specifically for psychotherapists, and I don't know what level of psychotherapeutic training they need, but there is something called sensory motor psychotherapy. It's another form of somatic-based healing, but it's limited to people who have mental health background. Thomas Hanna actually wrote a book called Somatics, and it's all about how to move the body differently. He was a student of Feldenkrais. So Feldenkrais' work as well would be considered a form of somatic healing. Thomas Hanna taking the name somatic makes it difficult to talk about somatic work without automatically talking about Thomas Hanna. And at some level, yoga, right? Or at least the asana aspect of yoga and meditative aspect of yoga. And so much of meditation is about noticing what's showing up, right? So arguably, even some aspects of yoga practice could be considered somatic-based healing. And so there's plenty out there, and those aren't the only ones by any means. And then there's the very political version of somatic healing called generative somatic. I don't know a ton about it. Adrienne Marie Brown, I think, the woman who wrote Emergent Strategy and Pleasure Activism, is a generative somatics practitioner and does a lot of work with them. And so that's where I've learned the most about it. But it's very politicized, right? How do we show up in the world in these political bodies? And then how do we use them for activism? There's different ways of using somatics in all sorts of healing. And so 
somatic experiencing from what I can tell. And again, I haven't studied the other than I've studied yoga, but not as a healing practice and as such in that sense, in the same way. So from what I can tell though, somatic experiencing combines so many of the other pieces in ways that many of the others do not. Like I said, I don't know enough about sensory motor psychotherapy only because I'm not a psychotherapist and so I'm not frankly allowed to. And that's actually one of the things I appreciate the most about SE somatic experiencing is that we learn from each other, right? So it's very easy when we become professionals. You know, you and I are both in professions that tend to isolate and to specialize. And I think both of our professions are realizing that the more we actually do interdisciplinary work, the better we do in the world, the better we can serve our clients and patients. And so one of the things I actually really appreciated about SE and one of the reasons I looked to it instead of something like somatic with Thomas Hanna's work is that having that exposure to, we have nurses and doctors and psychiatrists and psychotherapists and body workers and yoga teachers and shamans and coaches and lawyers and all sorts of people in our trainings. There aren't very many lawyers, but I'm not the only one. And so having that interdisciplinary nature, it helps us all learn how the world is connected and how healing is connected in a way that I didn't see in other programs. And if someone like me wanted to start off with somatic experiencing training, is there a standard amount of time that I would have to do? Or does it look different for a medical doctor versus a lawyer or somebody else that doesn't have either one of those degrees? The general SE training is three years and it's done in eight modules. So there's three beginning modules, three intermediate modules, and two advanced modules, at least in the United States. They're slightly different in other parts of the world, depending on where and how. But generally speaking, the modules are all the same. They might get combined together, though, is how it works. There are new beginning one modules starting all the time. They are currently all virtual still, but they're being assigned to locations that ultimately will be in person. I think, knock on wood, our first in-person training since March of 2020 is going to be in August, actually. I think in San Diego, not a beginning training, though it's an advanced training, I think. I should know these things. And so generally speaking, people stay in their same cohort for beginning and intermediate unless something comes up and they have to switch. So for me, I was in a cohort in San Diego with the same people for the most part from beginning through the end of intermediate and then find another place to do advanced. And most of us stayed together in advanced too, just because we were lucky and there was an advanced training in San Diego, at least for advanced two. There wasn't for advanced one, but that's a long story. And so It takes about three years. You certainly don't have to finish it, but to have an SCP can be really helpful. And the advanced year is really, really powerful. It gets into how to do some of these things very small, right? So for folks who struggle a lot in life, who are more dysregulated, the advanced year really helps fine tune what we've been doing all along, right? And it is the same currently. There's conversation around whether we should be doing programs specifically for doctors, right? Who don't necessarily want to be SEPs or for lawyers who don't necessarily want to do a full SE training, but want to be able to interview clients in a safer way, right? That doesn't harm them as much. So that doctors, I mean, one of the bigger complaints about doctors is that they're bedside manner, right? Not you, Dr. (laughs) Shivani, not you at all. And and of course, not me. And lawyers are known for their compassion, right? And so- Are there ways that we can do that? Yeah, those conversations are absolutely happening. I've done a lot of trainings for lawyers on these issues and we don't have enough doctors in the training. So absolutely, we would love to have more medical professionals. I'm obviously biased about this, but I think that everybody should have some form of SE-like training. Obviously, I'm the most biased, 
I'd like it to be SE training because I do think it actually does touch on everything and can really hold the containers that very few other modalities do. That said, not everybody has the time or money for a three-year training. So where that balance lies is still up in the air. We as a culture tend to be more on our heads than in our bodies. And I know for me, it took me many years to feel safe in my body and be grounded in my body. And I still struggle with that. So is somatic experiencing accessible to somebody who's having trouble with grounding themselves and being in their body? And what about someone who is completely numb to feelings? Where would you even start with somebody like that? I really appreciate this question. And the reason is because I think one of my pet peeves, shall we say, with some of the wellness community in general is, well, just feel in your body or just do this, right? As if everybody has the same experience of what it means to be in a human body and inhabiting the earth at this time in history. And that's just not true. We're all unique. And my hope would be that all SEPs out there embody the training in such a way that every nervous system is unique. And so we have to meet every nervous system where it is. And yes, SE is accessible, I believe, to anyone. Does that mean it's going to solve everybody's problems? No. I would never say that there is one thing on the planet that makes everything better. That's in my other pet peeve of the wellness community. (laughs) Do I believe it has the potential to help everyone? Yes, I do. And so what do you do with somebody who's numb, right? And doesn't feel into their body? Do they see image? Is there a color? Is there a sound? What do you notice? Most people, not everybody, can notice their breath, can notice that they have a breath. Does it change? One of the biggest lies that trauma tells us is that nothing will ever change and we will always be in this exact moment of pain and sorrow and depression that we are in right now. So even noticing that something shifted 1% can be healing, can be massively healing actually for the nervous system. Not necessarily for the brain, right? The brain takes a long time to catch up to how healing that is. Can't tell you how many SE sessions I've left being like, we did nothing today. And then three weeks later, I'm like, I feel better. That's funny. I feel better now. Not completely better, but better, right? And so one of the fun tricks is I don't feel my body at all. Oh, that's interesting. What happens if you put your hand on your arm, right? Can you say, this is my arm? Or you can feel that there is skin there right? And that there is actually a boundary between where your hand meets your arm and your arm meets your head. So you can actually feel the externalness or can you feel the table in front of you? Again, the slinky can be a really cool tool. Like, can you notice, just play with very slowly. What happens when you do it fast and what happens when you do it slowly, right? And one of the cool things about SE is we're going to make mistakes. We're going to try to figure some things out and they're not going to work and that's okay. That in and of itself is healing too, because so often we're told that if we don't meet people or we don't solve the problem right away, there's something wrong. But the truth is life is sort of a mess to begin with. We're all kind of here just jumbling around trying to figure it out. And so part of an SE session sometimes is jumbling around and figuring it out. Sometimes you get it right the first time and it is amazing. And you have these incredible breakthroughs, right? And sometimes it takes a few tries to figure out what works for these two nervous systems in space and time together. And we know that we heal in relationships and so much of an SE practice is just being present with somebody and to stay with that presence and to support people to find the little places where they say, I'm numb, I don't feel anything. Oh, can you feel the fact that you touch your arm, Mm -hmm. right? Can you feel the fact that when you drink a glass of water, 
does it feel cool as it goes down your windpipe or not windpipe I hope (laughs) (laughs) that would not be good (laughs) that does not go well (laughs) then we're calling you (laughs) (laughs) right so what do you notice when you look at the plants on your desk or when you look around a room one of the simpler techniques is called orienting where you just very slowly you'll notice I just took a breath Every time I do this, I swear it's a great presentation tool because literally it's like my Pavlov dog moment. I always take a breath and it's kind of great for other people to see it happen. And so I hope people heard that happen, right? One of the things of wearing earbuds is when you just very slowly look around a room, this doesn't work for everybody. This can actually activate their nervous systems, but say a majority of people in the world, just slowly looking around the room, you start to notice that your nervous system will regulate, that you might take a breath. You just did. And I noticed I even started speaking slower. I don't do that on purpose. Okay, that's my nervous system. Despite the fact I do this all the time, it's still, I can talk really fast and kind of go in that space until I orient. And then I'm like, oh, right. I can speak slower. Again, it's not conscious. And so there's so many different avenues of entry with SE that yes, anybody can find a space there and be held in a larger container, not physically held, and be able to show up exactly as they are, be honored for where and who they are, and then find the ways of entry that then start to allow the nervous system to to start to find regulation again, and hopefully a safe relational space. And I feel like dogs do this best. That's just because I'm a dog lover, but they're always like shaking it out and stretching it out, right? Like dogs understand somatic experiencing. And it works for them too, right? Yeah. And so one of the ways that Peter started understanding SE and nervous system regulation is what he brought to the world that not alone, he wasn't the only one to say this, but he was one of the more noticed names who's talked about the freeze response, right? And animals in the wild do this really easily. It's interesting you bring up dogs because Dogs do it well until they don't, until they've been traumatized or until they've been so domesticated that they start acting like us as humans and stop acting like, quote, wild animals. I don't know if I like that word wild, undomesticated. But Peter will show this video and many of the SE trainings will show this video of a gazelle being chased by a lion. And the gazelle is running away and it realizes it's not going to get away. And so it falls down and plays dead. And so what does the lion do? It gets bored because it's like, oh God, my food just died and it could be rotten. So it leaves. And so what's interesting about the freeze response is a lot of people think it's a total shutdown and that there's no energy underneath it. But when you think about an animal like a gazelle who's just played dead to get away from a lion, when it gets up, it has to shake off that freeze response and run. Because if it doesn't run fast, that lion's coming right back, right? So if that shutdown shuts down everything forever, it's going to still die. So what's interesting about the freeze response is that there's all this energy underneath it. With COVID was an externally imposed freeze response on most of us for a year and a half. And so there was all this energy underneath it. And now that energy is being released, which is interesting, right? So when animals would get up and the gazelle is a perfect example, it gets up and it shakes everything off, right? And once it shakes everything off, that flight response is still right there and it can take off. And so dogs do that, yes. But sometimes they don't. And we humans certainly don't, but we can because at our core, we are mammals. What's fascinating about living in the world right now 
is that there's a lot of people out there who talk so much about how everybody is the same and we all share humanity and we all share the same heart and we all share the same nervous system and love and light will solve the world. And there are plenty of people out there who are talking about nothing but identity and how every identity needs to be acknowledged. And what's amazing is both of these things are true. Both of them are true at the same time and that we have to recognize how we are unique and separate and, and the impact of society on that unique and separateness, including the traumatic impact. And I think we are doing a better job of recognizing the traumatic impact, but certainly not a good job even. And we can't lose sight of the fact that we are all still mammals. And while our nervous systems respond in a very culturally significant way, at our core, 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 fight, flight, freeze responses are similar. Now, how they show up in the world are going to be very different based on who we are and what cultures we're in. And so holding both of those and recognizing when the gazelle can do it and the dog can do it and watching dogs heal, you happen to know that my old roommate continues to rescue dogs. So we've had a lot of really traumatized dogs in that house. And watching them heal, watching them come out of that fight response and sometimes freeze response and become the most loving creatures ever is nothing short of awe-inspiring and beautiful. And so we humans do that too. It takes a little bit longer. We take a little longer to trust, understandably, but we can and we do. I firmly believe that not everybody will heal 100% from everything that they've ever experienced in their lives. And we can heal from anything. Where can people find more about you and somatic experiencing? Well, people can find out more about somatic experiencing at the SEI website. So Somatic Experiencing International, we just changed our name and have a beautiful new website and beautiful new logo. And it's at traumahealing.org. You can also just Google Somatic Experiencing International. There's Somatic Experiencing International on both Facebook and Instagram. I think there's also LinkedIn and Twitter pages, but I don't know how active they are. Certainly Peter Levine's website is, hope it's still somaticexperiencing.com, but you can certainly just Google Peter Levine. And then there's somatic experience practitioners all over the world. We at SEI have a practitioner directory. Not every SCP is on there, but it's certainly a way to start if you're interested in finding somebody to work with. And there's certainly people there. You can Google somatic experiencing in your location and see if there are practitioners there. And what's helpful to know if you want to work with somebody who's a mental health provider or somebody who's a body worker, sometimes the health providers will take insurance. I don't know if body workers can. I think it depends on the jurisdiction, whether they can take insurance. And so absolutely start there. And I'm findable on that website as well. I think my email address is there. If it's not, it's rmstall at traumahealing.org. Well, thank you for sharing all this wonderful knowledge with me today. I know I personally learned a lot and I'm sure you and I will connect soon. Thank you so much. This was really fun. And I really appreciate you letting me talk about SEI. Obviously, I could go on for days. I really appreciate it. <laughs> I know you can. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Well Balanced 360 podcast. I'm truly grateful for all of you and excited to have you join me on this health and wellness journey. Please be sure to stay connected with me over at drshivaniamin.com or any of my social media platforms. If you found this episode to be helpful, I would truly appreciate it if you would also hit that subscribe button and make sure to tell all your friends so you don't miss any future episodes. I'll catch you next week.